Welcome back here to the Knock On Sports as we continue to break down Super Bowl 55. And yes, my Tampa Bay Buccaneers are world champions. And to break it down with us on the Whitefish Credit Union Hotline, good friend of the show, Brandon Schultz from the Seahawkers and Field Goals Podcast. Brandon, it's great to chat with you once again, man. Oh, I'm, I'm sure it's great for you. I'm not sure why you're bringing me on for this, Anthony, because, I mean, this should just be your time to monologue about your team <laughs> winning. And, and I so I haven't been listening. Maybe you've been doing that already, and maybe this is your break so you can talk to me and get my thoughts. Well, I was about to say, yeah, I've done about 30 minutes of talking about this game. I got to get some. I mean, the listeners need somebody else's voice <laughs> here for at least 10 to 15 minutes to talk about this game. Um, Brandon, here's the deal, man. I, I will say this. I would have never thought our defense would have taken care of the Kansas City Chiefs the way they did, not allowing a touchdown at all to that Chiefs offense. And then the way our offense played, just getting on the board, not settling for field goals, uh, you know, even taking a field goal off the board and putting it in the end zone. I know penalties, we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, I have to say, Brandon, you said it last week to me, and you're absolutely right. Blowouts are better. Blowouts are better. When you're the fan of the team, blowouts are better. And, you know, it may even go for the other side of the football, too, because as a Chiefs fan, the the day after you're not sitting there wondering, oh, if Mahomes would have just made this play or if they just would have done this one thing different, then everything would have been different. When it's a blowout and you watch your team lose, too. It's you, you, you. It just feels better because you're not worrying about that one or two m- moments in the game that really change it. You just are. It's much easier to accept it. No, absolutely. I mean, again, I can only speak from a point of my team has done it twice. And by the way, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are two and zero against the AFC West in the Super Bowls. <laughs> So we're pretty good, Chiefs, Raiders. Go. I mean, that, that's crazy. And again, it's it's even kind of funny too, Brandon. Like that Super Bowl is so long ago. I mean, I was 13 years old. I know it's only you know it's been less or a little over two decades now since 2002. But at the same time, like once again, Tampa Bay's defense won the show. I know everyone talks about Brady, but that's where it starts. If you could give the defensive MVP to the entire side of the football, which would have been Tampa Bay's defense, I think you definitely uh, could or should, but I know it's only one person that gets it, but Tampa Bay's defense stole the night. I mean, you could make the case for Devin White getting the MVP because he played out of his mind. He was all over the field. He led the team in tackles. He had the late interception that, you know, they get the touchdown there and they're at least able to claim that they put up a touchdown on the board. But White was right there, tips the ball up in the air, able to catch it to him, uh, you know, able to tip it to himself for the interception and and really seal the game right there and and allow him to go kneel it down. So, you know, if he would have been the guy on defense, he would have been my vote. Vote. But then you had, I mean, all those guys up front, too. And really, it was the players up front. And whether it was Shaq Barrett, whether it was Jason Pierre-Paul, you know, and Dominican Sue, you just had so many guys up front that were able to generate pressure. And that was the more so the story of the game, the fact that Mahomes could never get comfortable. And I don't think I would have envisioned the, the amount of, of pressure that he would have been under the entire night. And generally he's able to make things happen And it. It was just so relentless that, you know, as soon as he dropped back, it, it, you, you saw so many plays where he was running back 10, 15 yards and having to either throw the ball away or make some kind of spectacular throw. Mahomes had maybe one of the best incomplete pass throws that I've ever seen as he's throwing the ball almost vertical with the ground and 30 yards to the end zone and, and on target. It's just his receiver couldn't catch it. It was uh, it was quite 
a, a day just watching him try and deal with that relentless pressure. Brandon, I'll tell you this much, and I'll be honest. I kept waiting for the Chiefs' comeback and watching Patrick Mahomes. You just know that he has it in him, and there were a couple times where I thought he was going to do it with some of those throws. I had to hold my breath every time I saw that ball going deep uh, into the Bucks' secondary. Um, but again, we—I I don't know about you. Were you waiting for that Chiefs' comeback to come? But it, it never came. I was waiting for it. I thought that they would have that opportunity in the second half. And really, at the start of the second half, they started running the ball. They were moving it well. And I thought, okay, here we go. The Chiefs have figured it out. They can't let Mahomes just sit back there and get under pressure. They're going to start running the ball with Edwards Hilaire. And they they moved it well. But then they, they kind of got back into that same, you know, wanting to throw the ball, throw it deep. And then you could just see things break down. So... They weren't, uh, they weren't quite patient enough just to stick with that running game in the second half because it was working, and obviously the Bucks, you know, they're going to say, okay, well, well, we'll allow Edwards Hilaire to run it because it takes the ball out of the hands of their best player. But really that's what was – I think that would have given them a better opportunity to win in the second half by, you know, trying to just get some of that pressure off of Mahomes. Well, that's the interesting part. You did not see the Kansas City Chiefs, Eric Benamy and Andy Reid, not make that adjustment, whether it's running the football or helping out that offensive line, because again, they left that they left their five guys to solely block the four for Tampa Bay most of the night. Again, Patrick Mahomes, the most pressured quarterback, uh, with twenty nine pressures last night, and I saw a stat that next gen stat that said like he scrambled for nearly five hundred yards last night. Right. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that they didn't make that change, but it is Patrick Mahomes, and you expect him to be able to get away from. I, there were so many sacks, Anthony, that we saw him get away from and and make some incredible throws downfield. So I think there would have been some criticism if you would have kept Kelsey in the block, for instance, because then you're taking away one of your best pass catchers. So I I think there's they had to put some of it on Mahomes to be able to make plays and, and still have that opportunity to win. I, I just I think they would have had a better opportunity handing the ball off a little bit a little bit more, maybe starting that even earlier. But gosh, you know the the game really flipped for me was right at the end of the first half when you know he he has that opportunity to to throw the end zone uh, hill. You know, he, he, his hands are there. Well, shoot, it didn't hit him right in the face mask. Mm-hmm. They end up having to settle for the field goal. And you were wondering in that moment, okay, with about a minute left, are the Bucks going to be content with going in to the half with the lead, you know, up eight points, and then knowing that the Chiefs were going to get the ball back? And it looked like maybe they were going to be content with it until – the Chiefs took that timeout after the the eight yard throw on it was either first or second down. So they had, you know, just two yards to get the first down. And they go ahead and take the timeout there. And then, you know, the and then the weird thing was is that the defense, they weren't even playing as if the Bucks might throw deep in that scenario. And gosh, if you even watched the the championship game, I mean, that's you had to expect. Tom Brady to go deep on that, you know, that short, short yarded situation because there's not a whole lot of time left on the clock. They still had a timeout. If they go deep there, obviously it's set up well for them to go ahead and get the score. And I think if 
Reed doesn't take the timeout in that situation, I think maybe the Bucks take a knee there and, and go into the lead, uh, go into halftime happy with the lead. How impressive is that, Brandon, that in back-to-back games in the NFC Championship and the Super Bowl, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers come away with seven points right before halftime. And I feel like, obviously, in the NFC Championship game, I feel like that was, in a way, the dagger. Obviously, Green Bay does make a comeback. And ultimately, I, th- I don't want to say it puts the game out of reach for Kansas City because it didn't. We still had a full second half to play, and I still didn't feel comfortable. But that really started to give some real big cushion and even more confidence. Yeah, it, well, it surprised me that those, again, much like in the Green Bay game, that the Chiefs defenders weren't playing off of the ball. And, you know, they're up on the line in that situation. So that's strange to me. And then, you know, then you, we can get into the penalties now because obviously in real time, I thought that that penalty on uh, on Evans down the sideline, I thought it looked like a penalty. I was expecting the flag. And then when you go back and watch it, it looked like maybe the defender got tripped up. Uh, on Evans' feet, and you know, I I don't know if you can say that there was enough contact there when I when I went back and rewatched it, and then you had the contact in the end zone, which I thought was more flagrant, uh, but it, you know, the, it looked like Brady was throwing it away. So I know a lot of people are upset about those two calls in particular. Um, I I guess. If uh, in real time, I expected the first one to be flagged, the second one not to be. And then almost watching it back, I kind of reversed my positions on each one. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it's I kind of had the same thinking as you did. Um, I thought the first one for sure, because it looked like the hand kind of grabbed the hip initially in real time. And obviously all it did was it looked like either, you know, slapped or pushed um, Mike Evans at that point. Uh, But then at the same time too, like, again, that's always a tough one because you've seen DBs and receivers in the end zone and talking about Tyron Matthew in particular. um, Mm -hmm. You've seen that happen before. Sometimes I don't know if it gets called all the time, but it is kind of funny because Kansas city has had issues when it comes to secondary uh, problems, when it comes to the holding and some of the PI calls that go along with it. Well, and that was the interesting thing to me was that in in CBS's coverage of it, you had the two calls and it led to the touchdown right before the end of the half. And, and so a lot of the halftime talk was, oh, gosh, the officials should stay out of it. But I felt like throughout the first quarter and even into the second quarter, you had Jim Nance and Tony Romo saying, oh, look at all, you know how well. And the Chiefs had been called on a couple holding penalties already to that point. And you went back and you looked at the replay and there were clear holding penalties. And in fact, they were showing holding penalties that were happening uh, that weren't called. And so you could you could see that happening. And then so it just it wasn't a shock to me that they actually started, you know, here they were calling it later because I mean, the Chiefs had shown through that first half that they were they were going to drape all over the Bucks receivers and they they got called on it. My feature guest is Brandon Schultz from the Seahawkers and Field Goals podcast. We'll continue with more talk about Super Bowl 55. We'll get his thoughts on Tom Brady winning his seventh ring. What's the legacy next for Patrick Mahomes? We'll talk about all that and more next here on the Knock on Sports. Think about where you were one year ago today. What were you planning for? Whether or not you planned for a new challenge, you got it. And most importantly, you succeeded. Cooking at home. Learning at home. And banking at home. At Whitefish Credit Union, we understand you've been through a lot. And as you move through the year, just know we'll be right there at your side. This year, next year, and always. Whitefish Credit Union. Subject to membership eligibility. 
It is the day after Super Bowl 55. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are world champions of the NFL. And breaking it down with me is Brandon Schultz from the Seahawkers and Field Goals podcast. Uh, Brandon, Tom, Tom Brady wins his seventh ring, does the first one with Tampa Bay. Uh, does this put an end to the GOAT discussion in your mind? I, I think it just generates an entirely new GOAT discussion because now you have the greatest of all time in the NFL. Now, where does he rank out in terms of sports all time. I mean, you're talking, you know, the Michael Jordan, Tom Brady discussion now, rather than the Tom Brady versus Joe Montana discussion. That's interesting. Cause I mean, when I look at it, I mean, is, is Tom Brady, the level of athlete, even close to Michael Jordan? No, not even close to LeBron James. But again, when you're talking about the ultimate winner, the ultimate competitor, again, Bill Russell, I know he has his 11 championships, but talk about modern day, Tom Brady has more NFL Super Bowl championships than franchises in the entire league, and now he's got more titles than Michael Jordan. And it is really uh, interesting and fascinating. So for me, it's tough because, again, I know basketball, football, even hockey, they're all different sports. But for the modern day of the 2000s, I think it's easy to say that Tom Brady was the greatest winner of all time. And, And that's right where I'm at. I mean, when you look at what he's been able to do, Going to 10 Super Bowls, winning seven, you mentioned it, the fact that that's more than any other franchise. It's really impressive. You can even bring Olympic athletes into this, too, with Michael Phelps and all his gold medals, too. So I I think that you and it's really tough to compare when you start comparing across sports, obviously. But it's it puts him I think it elevates him to the top of the NFL for sure. And yeah, you, you have to start comparing across sports now. Brandon, looking at Patrick Mahomes for a second here, obviously there was discussion going into this game. Maybe he's going to get the torch from Tom Brady in this Super Bowl had he won it. But because Patrick Mahomes played so poorly, obviously not all his fault, just a lot of pressure on him. It's very tough to throw from your back or when you're running like crazy here. But what do you think this does for Patrick Mahomes going forward? Well, it's it's going to get a lot tougher for Mahomes because obviously with the Chiefs in this window with his contract being... relatively low. He did sign the big deal, but obviously that doesn't start to kick in now until these years down the road. And you're going to start seeing similar things to what we saw with Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. It's really tough to keep these teams together when you go to back-to-back Super Bowls. I think even with the Bucs, it would be tough to keep everybody together because you had so many players on, you know, kind of low uh, type one-year contract type deals. And you're going to start expecting to see guys wanting to get paid. So you got Frank Clark and Chris Jones making a bunch of money for the Chiefs, and you got Tyron Matthew and Sammy Watkins and Tyreek Hill. You know, are you going to be able to keep that core of all those players together now for these next couple of years? You're going to have to start relying more on getting the draft picks. And when you're drafting that low every year, it makes it awfully tough. So, I mean, you're, and, you know, Mahomes. It's uh, he, he's obviously great when he's healthy, but, you know, with the toe injury now, you, you start to see them there be a little bit of, uh, you know, he looks a little more human. But uh, as you as, as players get older, they start to take a step back too. they lose some of that athleticism. Now he has a ton of arm strength and I think he's going to be a guy who's going to be there. But the, the thing about the Chiefs. It's it's what we see with so many other great up and coming teams is that yeah when you're paying when you're not paying your quarterback upwards of thirty million dollars a year it, it allows you to have those complementary pieces on the offensive line on the defensive line that really helps win these types of games 
And are they going to continue to be able to do that moving forward? That's that's going to be the big question. What do you think about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers winning? Obviously, the first year with Tom Brady, uh, they get their second Super Bowl championship within the franchise. As you mentioned, it's going to be difficult. Tampa Bay's got to make some decisions. Uh, obviously, Godwin's a free agent. Uh, Shaq Barrett's going to be possibly a free agent as well. Uh, Sue's contract's done. Uh, there are guys that are saying they're already willing to make some pay cuts or take some pay cuts to try and keep this thing together and try and run it back. What do you think about the Buccaneers? Do you put them in that conversation of, once again, being in contention for maybe going back-to-back? I do think that it's possible for the Bucs because I mean, Brady's not on any kind of astronomical deal. He's always been willing to take less to to allow those pieces to be around him. And, you know, really, the Bucs are in a pretty good salary cap position. You know, it's it's going to be tough for them to to keep – you know, if, if they decide to keep Shaq Barrett, you know, are they going to be able to keep a guy like Chris Godwin? Maybe not. Is Levante David going to be a guy who's gone? You know, Vita Vea, another one of those guys that you have to worry about, too. Fournette, obviously not going to be able to come back on on such a, you know, a, a team friendly type deal. So there are a lot of questions there. But the thing that I look at with Tom Brady, with Mike Evans, with the offensive line pretty much, you know, all coming back. Um, I, I do see them being competitive again next year. I just don't know if they're going to be able to assemble that amount of talent for, you know, really as as little as it, that it cost them in terms of salary cap space. Brandon, let's talk about the Seattle Seahawks for just a second. I want to get your thoughts on this because obviously it was announced during the NFL Honors. Russell Wilson wins the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, and it feels like considering what he's done, especially with the Seattle Children's Hospital, maybe he should have one more along with the one he won uh, this past weekend. But what did you think about Russell Wilson getting uh, the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award? Yeah, it was really nice to see just because, like you said, all of the things that we've seen him do in the community uh, just over the years. And yeah, it, it does feel a little bit late considering just how much work he's put into it and how long he's been doing it. And so it was, it was nice to see him get recognized and, uh, you know, it, he didn't look quite as interested, uh, in, uh, when they sh- did the camera shot of him with, uh, Goodell up in the box with Sierra. But, um, it was, it was nice to see him there and, and hopefully he, he picked something up from watching Tom Brady in this game. <laughs> and then Brandon, I got to get your thoughts. Super Bowl commercial, which one was your favorite? Oh, uh, my favorite one was actually the Alexa embedded in Michael B. Jordan. Um, it was wow. a little bit late. Maybe some people tuned out by then, but uh, that one was my favorite. And I think the runner up would have been the M&M's commercial. I was going to say the uh, Ashton Kutcher and Miley Kunis one was definitely one. And then the Samuel Jackson one was a second for me. Hmm. Mm-hmm. See, I, you know, I, I tend to use my commercial breaks for doing things that you'd normally do during commercial breaks. So I, 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 may, not, I may not have even seen those two. <laughs> Brandon Schultz here joining us from the Seahawkers and Field Goals podcast. Brandon, if you want to catch the latest episodes of the podcast, how can they do that? Yeah, check it out. Fieldgoals.com. Going to be talking some draft this week and looking back at some of the players in the Senior Bowl. And uh, so, yeah, some draft picks for the Seahawks. And we may do some awards here coming up shortly, too. So check that out. Fieldgoals.com. And I'm sure we'll be talking more up at Seahawkerspodcast.com as well. 
Brandon, really appreciate the time. Really appreciate the insight as always. Really, really appreciate you coming on and joining me here on a Monday after the Super Bowl to break it all down. It has been fun as always to do this with you for another season, a fifth consecutive season of breaking down the NFL and talking the Seattle Seahawks with you as well. And uh, looking forward to chatting with you again throughout the off season as we get ready for uh, another NFL season in 2021. I always enjoy it, Anthony. Happy to hear, you know, just that that extra pick, you know, that extra step in your voice <laughs> as uh, you're just, you know, riding high off of that Super Bowl win.